Hello and welcome to the Curiosity Podcast, a show to help you thrive in your e-commerce and digital business. And now your host, Matt Edmondson. Well, hello there and welcome to another episode of the Curiosity Podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. It's great to have you along. And as usual in season two, we are broadcasting live on Facebook at the time we're recording this, uh, this podcast. Uh, we've got an amazing guest on today's show. So if you are on Facebook, uh, do stop by, come by and say hello, add your comments. Uh, add your questions as we get into our conversations about all things to do with e-commerce, how to grow and drive your e-commerce business. Oh, we've got a great guest in today's show. But before I get into who our amazing guest is going to be, I just want to be uh, grateful and just do a big shout out to uh, our two sponsors of the show, the guys that make this all possible. I love doing this. Let me tell you, I love doing the old podcast. It's great fun, uh, but it is only possible because um, uh, two companies let me do it. One is Curious Agency, which is a e-commerce web agency. They specialize in doing digital platforms and e-commerce platforms for businesses just like yours that needs to grow online. I use their e-commerce platform for all of my own e-commerce businesses. Let me tell you, Curious Digital is amazing. And I was talking with the guys about what's coming out in the next release. There are some really great stuff, some really great features coming up in the next year. So uh, do check it out. Have a look at it if you are looking for a new e-commerce platform. And the other sponsor uh, who are fantastic is Lightbulb, Lightbulb Agency. These guys run end-to-end e-commerce services. So if you have an e-commerce arm to your business, you have some e-commerce drive and talent to what is going on, Uh, If you need some help, whether it's in marketing, whether you want to outsource fulfillment, whether you need help finding products, whatever it is, check out Libel. They have got the whole end-to-end thing going on to help you uh, build a thriving e-commerce onto your business. Do check them out. And when you check them out, tell them that I sent you and that I I said hello. Now, for those of you who have joined us on Facebook, it is great to see you. Uh, it's great that you're here. Do give us a shout out and say um, say hi, because we have a great guest on the show. Now, we have um, Heiki. I need to pronounce it right. Uh, Heiki Hydra, who uh, is the founder of four companies, a man after my own heart. He has four companies, uh, a bit like me. Uh, why, why just settle with one when you can have four, right? <laughs> His latest is a fashion tech company, Fits.me, uh, and that has been acquired by Rakuten. Yes, one of the world's largest e-commerce players. So he's going to give us some great advice in terms of building a business and getting acquired by the big boys, uh, which is, I know, something interesting uh, to a bunch of you out there. Um, Heike mentors startups on strategy, how to build and finance their ideas to scale and how to ensure they'll become a commercial success story. He is currently the chairman of the Future of Retail organization, and we were actually just chatting off-air before uh, before we, well, obviously off-air, before I hit the live, go live button, uh, in the press today, I don't know if you saw it, into the massive resale consortium, has current debts of £5 billion, and is struggling because retail it is, uh, retail is collapsing. So the fact that he chairs the future of retail uh, 
is going to be fascinating. He's also the founder of Find.Fashion. The Exit Academy is named top 100 most influential. Uh, no, he's named one of the top most uh Influential in the digital fashion world by Vogue's online fashion. That's not a bad endorsement, even though I messed it up reading it out. Uh, he's got some credentials. So, without further ado, I think I've bigged him up enough. Heiki, let's get you onto the show. Thanks for being here and welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's great. Um, uh, that, that introduction, um, uh, uh, I would, I would blush. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? When you uh, when you read these things out, you're like, man, alive. Uh, I've been on other people's podcasts. I've been on shows. And when they read these intros out, you come on stage and go, I really hope I can live up to what you have just read out. Uh, because no. um, I, 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 I almost saying to myself, I, I hope I'm going to live up to how you've introduced me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, with the with the startup founders. It's always this uh, this kind of fear. And, and with any entrepreneur, it's kind of this fear every single day. You've achieved something more, but you still think, I'm kind of pretending. <laughs> yeah. I don't Someone's know. I don't know anything. Out. Someone's going to find <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? You're right. A lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. I mean, um, you obviously mentor a lot of people. Let's, let's start off there. You mentor a lot of entrepreneurs. Do you find, they call it the imposter syndrome, don't they? Do you find yeah. that this is quite a common thing amongst the entrepreneurs that you're, uh, that you're mentoring? Well, there's, uh, now that we get to this topic, this is certainly a common, common topic. However big the company, uh, however successful they have built it, however big the team is, uh, almost always they have that. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's partly, it's partly because that's, uh, that's the, uh, the kind of uh, the, the ethos or the soul of the startup, you, you build it because you build something that nobody else has built before. And therefore, you don't really know what tomorrow brings. You, nobody has those answers and you have to have those answers. That's correct. Everybody's going to look at you and say, you, you know the answer, yeah. but you don't. Yeah, you have to know the answer because <laughs> you're the leader. So let's just, let's just crack it up. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good answer. It's such a good, and I, I've noticed it myself in me and in people that I mentor and stuff. The imposter syndrome is such a big deal. And, uh, yeah, we're all just, we're all, we're all feeling the same and it doesn't matter how successful you get. Ultimately you get home at the end of the day and you kind of go, I hope I know enough for tomorrow. Right. Just, just the way it works. Actually, the, there's only one thing that gets you over the imposter syndrome and that applies to, to me, to any other entrepreneur listening to this. Um, it's who do you have on your team? Okay. Uh, it's admitting that I don't have the, all the answers, but that I know and I can rely on this amazing team uh, that, that supports, that, that, that helps to lead it together with me. I'm not the only leader. Yeah, no, that's such a great answer. Such a great answer. And you're right. It's, you know, the, the whole thing about being an entrepreneur, isn't it? One of the things that you have to do quite quickly is build a good team, get a good team around you that, that compensates for where you're actually not really that good. Um, you know what? The good team often is, is just, how would I put it? Let it letting it go. Um, trusting that the, the people that you have are actually good people. I, I certainly, when I was building my first couple of companies, I had this micromanaging tendency. I'm not really trusting. Mm -hmm. but then when you say to yourself, I actually have a good team, 
you'd be surprised how good they are. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So have you got any, uh, well, I, you understand we're now completely off script <laughs> already. <laughs> we've only just started the show, but, um, um is this my fault? Uh, no, no, it's totally my fault. Uh, I'm, I'm the guy that's asking the questions. Um, I'm just curious, what would your advice be to somebody then who is starting out that is going, yeah, it sounds great. I need to build team. Um, what would be a tip, a top tip for someone? To, what would your advice be for, for, for one or two people looking to build their team? Um, when you introduced me, you said uh, I have four companies. I've had actually uh, six companies in the past. Uh, out of those uh, six, four were acquired. Um, two, however, I'd, uh, I don't like the word failure. I'd like to call them the um, uh, opportunity to, to learn. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and today I'm a, a, a founding partner at the Exit Academy where we teach uh, the the startup founders how to become more successful and this is certainly one of those uh, one of those questions now for early stage companies whether it's a startup or whether it's it's something you you build as a uh, as your own long-term business i'm always saying get the get the co-founder mm -hmm. and the, the co-founder is so important because there's those troubles there's those things that you don't know how to solve and there's somebody with vested interest not just your employee with whom you can go through those moments in your in your company's life yeah. where things go really really badly and there's somebody who can support you yeah but there's something even more important when your company goes really really well that's the moment where you have to celebrate you you have to amplify this moment you have to make it more successful and if you are alone you forget to do this right you, you're just struggling to get through the day because that success actually puts more pressure on you more stress and having a co-founder these moments is really what makes the company take off yeah um, uh, co-founder is almost like a marriage, right? So yes, uh, that person is hard yeah, yeah. to find. They're, they're hard to find and they're hard to, to work with and keep well is my, is my experience. I mean, some, some of my business partners have been absolutely amazing, phenomenal people. Um, and some of my business partners, well, let's just say it's not ended as well as I wanted it to. Um, you know, there's a there's a trick to this though. Um, oftentimes, when co-founders get together and and they start, the, the first type of argument is how shall we share the company? I'm going to get fifty percent, and now you're going to get some other percent. Um, uh, that's uh, I, I always recommend the stock options investing. Um, uh, uh, for your audience sake, should I should I explain a little bit how it yeah, works? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So normally, um, you. You agree on day one that, uh, both, uh, let's say there's two founders, that uh, both of us will have, uh, normally I wouldn't recommend 50-50, I always recommend 51-49, because if there's a disagreement, somebody has to decide. Yeah, someone has to have um, the final say. But let's now uh, say you have agreed to give somebody 49% to 30% or whatever the percentage would be. And you say, well, we don't actually know each other really well yet to, to go to the wedding and marry. Yeah. However, we agree uh, that we are going to do our best to try. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you, let's say, 30%. But you are not going to get it right away. 
you are going to get it over next to three years, divided into equal parts, 10, 10% each year. And there's going to be one year cliff. So if after 12 months, you decide to stay, then the option is best. Yeah. However, if within these 12 months you decide to leave and it wouldn't work out, um, you will not get the shares. You will get the fair payment. Yeah. So, but at least the shares will stay with the company and they can go and find another co-founder. Yeah, yeah. And that's worked well for you, has it? Doing the, they call them share options, don't they? That's worked well for you? Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, there's a, there's a, a little gold nugget that we've not planned on. <laughs> So let's talk about uh, e-commerce and retail. Yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get back to the <laughs> back to it. Um, so you're uh, you've you've had six companies. You've sold four. Two have been opportunities to learn. I like I like that phrase. I'm definitely going to use that. Um, and you seem to be like a serial entrepreneur. Is there a common theme of e-commerce and technology around the companies that you're starting at the moment? <laughs> Um, so at the moment I have the Exit Academy, which is a nonprofit, which is teach, give workshops to startups to become more successful. And then Defined Fashion, which is a continuation of the fashion tech company that I sold to Rakuten. Yeah. Um, and that's on the visual search space at Rakuten. Rakuten sells what? About 30 million products in fashion vertical alone. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, people, I mean, they, they do sell amazing things, yeah. but uh, if you cannot find, uh, then you cannot buy. And fashion is such a visual thing that uh, people don't really have the words to type into the search bar. Uh, honestly, people don't even know often what, they, what they're looking for. They kind of have the preference of style in the head, but they, you know... Um, you, you, you walk to the shop and you end up uh, buying the pair of shoes or a handbag because you discover it, right? Sure. So at Trakutan, we discovered a way how to how to build the technology that, for simplicity's sake, I'm going to call it read your mind and understand what what you really like. Mm -hmm. And it's now I'm I'm just super proud my uh, my AI team, which is in Estonia. They just accomplished a huge breakthrough. They demonstrated that it actually can read people's mind. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, this the AI is, is a phenomenal thing, and it's one of those things that really intrigues me where e-commerce is concerned. You know, where is, mm -hmm. where is it all going in terms of what are some of the things you're going to be able to do with AI and e-commerce and all that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. um, and I guess in some respects it sounds exciting. And in some respects, it sounds like expensive and complicated. Do you know what I mean? And, and so if I was... And scary when it comes to competitive angle. Exactly. Very, very scary. It's like, how do I keep up? How do I engage with that sort of stuff? Um, so you, I mean, when we originally met and talked, one of the things I wrote down was actually, you like to think of like 10 to 15 years in the future, don't you? You're, a, you're what I call a futurist. You kind of understand where it's all going. Um, so how can we, how can we sort of get some of this stuff that's coming into our e-commerce businesses now? Do you I'm, I'm lucky, uh, I'm part of the future retail organizations board and think tank there is, is, is thinking well on my behalf and then just telling me what's the future is going to be like, uh, hopefully they are right. Um, but, it, <laughs> but, um, 
there's I think there's uh, there's a few really super interesting things coming along and and uh, one of them uh, is the uh, obviously everybody's going to talk about this Amazon effect and how Amazon either takes over the businesses or competitively ruins the businesses and they are scary big and if you look at how they have grown um, in in the UK 30% of all online retail is Amazon yeah in the US, it's fifty percent of all online retail is Amazon, and then you then you look at the at the retail as a whole, and you think, well, we all know that that e-commerce grows, right? Yeah. And if Amazon keeps that leading position, they they're not going to just be the leaders of e-commerce; they're going to be the retail. Yeah. However, um, I would I would actually think differently. I'd, I think, um, let me define now, I'm talking of Amazon as the destination site for customers to go and buy stuff, because Amazon obviously does many other things. Yeah. Um, but as a destination site for customers to buy stuff, I don't think Amazon will remain the leader. That's interesting. Uh, it's slightly controversial, but why would you say that? Um. Let me use an example first okay. from uh, from offline shopping, the, the, our everyday world. And our everyday world really is is we we walk down the street and we walk past some some uh, store window and we, we spot something interesting and, and we decide to walk in and we have never been to that shop before. And then we walk down down another street, or we watch watch TV, or, uh, and then we see uh, some some amazing product somewhere, mm-hmm. and we decide that influence is what we what we like to buy. Um, and it used to be that that uh, our our decisions uh, were uh, actually let me use just fashion here as an example. Our decisions were often. Um, uh, influenced most by the brands, the catwalks we would, when we see a product, we would automatically know that ah, this is this must be from this brand, yeah, at least from this group of brands. However, what what's happening today is is as we keep seeing those products that surround us, um, we don't know anymore which brand supplies it. It could be an influence on Instagram. Sometimes they say the brand, sometimes they don't. And you end up on on, uh, on on some online platform trying to find it, but uh, but uh, the, the kind of lacks the connection between the item we want and and the item we we can actually uh, actually buy. So we come to the findability problem. Yeah, the, the online the choice is too big, and Amazon is certainly the biggest weakness. Is is actually the largest selection. That's an interesting However, point you're saying. So let me yeah. just clarify. Amazon's biggest weakness is the amount of choice that they offer. The paradox of choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, uh, the paradox of choice is a really interesting psychological experiments done in this whole arena. And I'm, you've bridged two gaps there and I, I, I like it. You carry on. Sorry. I just wanted to clarify. No, no, let, let me, uh, let me ask you something. So let's imagine you want to buy a, a, a toaster. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, where would you go online? Amazon, AliExpress, where would you go? To buy a toaster, I would go yeah. to Google and type in the brand of the toaster that I would want probably, or I'd go and find out what's the best toaster I can buy. 
and then Google ah. friend. I, I have to be honest with you. This is, this is maybe not a topic for today. I've recently <laughs> been challenged on the ethics of buying products from Amazon. So I try not to just default go to Amazon. If you'd have asked uh-huh. me a year ago, that very question, I would have gone, I would have gone to Amazon's app and I'd have typed in mm-hmm. toaster and I'd have seen what came up. Mm-hmm. I share, I share the sentiment. However, um, uh, using this example, most people would go to any of those large platforms, whether it's Amazon or something else. And then the next question is, how would you choose? And they normally, there's, there's two ways. Um, you sort them by reviews. Yep. Or you sort them by price. Yep. Now, reviews, these apply to toasters. You can actually find a pretty good toaster. However, when you look at shoes or, or, or tableware, reviews wouldn't help you a lot. Okay. Instead, people would go and sort by price. And here's one of the biggest weaknesses. If you sort by price, then why would you go to page 4 or 10 or, or 44 to look at more expensive shoes, they end up looking pretty similar. Yep. So what happens here is is all those suppliers using Amazon as the platform are competing based on price. They are not competing based on the quality of the product, but the quality of the photography. Yep. Now it's a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Not a single supplier can survive long term. No. If they if they compete by price only, the, the, when it comes to sustainability, look at uh, again using fashion as an example. Fast fashion is is blamed how they drive down the prices, how they how they make the suppliers somewhere in Bangladesh cut the corners and 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 just uh, not pay attention to any of the environmental issues or worker worker protection. And then you look at the very similar items on on Amazon, and they are thirty to forty percent cheaper than any of the past fashion brands. And how do they do that? So, there's always somebody selling something cheaper in the world, right? Someone selling something cheaper, that's right. There's always... So in long term, that type of business model uh, cannot survive, right? No. No, it's very short-termism, isn't it? It's very short-term gains. It's, it's however, a fantastic news for, uh, for the smaller... Um, smaller retailers, smaller designers who come up with those quirky, really interesting products. Yeah. As on Amazon, eventually the suppliers start cutting the, the costs, designing more generic items, even bigger brands, they will start start uh, prioritizing the basics over the more interesting products. And that's when those indie designers, the, the cool items start going up. That's really interesting. So do you see that there's going to be a move away from Amazon by some of the suppliers with their with some of their more interesting products? Do you think you're saying that Amazon's going to be quite um, what's the word homogenized? Quite you know samey samey. Everything's going to be the same. Um, absolutely, absolutely not. But if you sort by price, then obviously everything on page one to page ten yeah will be quite similar. Yeah. Um, it will be more interesting products on page uh, 107 to do page 100, 200, but kind of, nobody ever goes there. That's right? very true. Just like no one ever goes past page one on Google, people are no longer yeah. doing that, or they're on Amazon. Yet. Exactly. And in fact, Amazon, uh, they have their whole marketing strategy is to get people who sell on Amazon to do paid AdWords like Google. So you can 
you can pay to come up higher on Amazon search engines, which is just yet more money to Amazon, which is coming out of your profit margin. And it's, um, it's quite fast. I have, um, yeah, I, I have this love hate relationship with Amazon. Obviously I'm a client, uh, obviously I share the sentiment uh, yet I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I will be client again. Um, uh, one of the companies that I invested into uh, in the past as an angel investor, uh, they used Amazon as one of the platforms to sell uh, the products. Uh, uh, they were a marketplace for Indonesian artisans uh, to go uh, go to Western market. And, uh, uh, and Amazon is just fascinating. You, you pay Amazon regardless whether you get the product sold or not. Yeah. Yep. And... The annoying thing right at the end of all of that transaction is you don't know who the customer is because it's Amazon's customer. It's not your customer. Exactly. So it's a real, it is a real fascinating one. I mean, full disclosure, we also sell some of our product ranges on Amazon. Uh, and it, and it's the stories that we have from dealing with them are quite fascinating. Um, and so I share your sentiment actually that, um, Ethically, I have questions about it, but also the future, I'd, like you say, the first four pages, how, how do you differentiate? How do you separate yourself? Out? And I suppose in some respects, that's where you're going, isn't it? Is for the, the small business guy, the independent producer is actually doing something interesting that's not fast fashion or the equivalent of fast fashion for your industry. Is it is a good way to move forward? Is that what I'm hearing? Um, it's, um, let me try to, uh, let me think through how to phrase it. It's, let me, let me, uh, give an example from, uh, again, from the, from the physical stores and, and again, from the fashion, fashion, um, it's, uh, it's the brands. Um, there might be brands that I, that you like today. I, I personally like um, for example, Banana Republic. Um, uh, whenever I walk in, I, I get, you know, pretty much I, I get what I expect. Yeah. Um, uh, at the price point, I already know. And then as, as they will become more and more under price pressure, um, they will start choosing products which are more and more um, uh, well, average, that they know that will sell uh, well. And a couple of years from today, I will walk again to Banana Republic store and and I look around and everything is boring. Mm-hmm. Um, they have cut the costs on, on sales assistance and they have cut the costs on the locations and, and, and store interiors. And I look around and I'm like, why am I even here? Yeah. And that, that forces me to, to go and see the products online. Yeah. So suddenly we'll, we'll, uh, we are talking of this retail apocalypse happening now, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, there, there will be another yeah, another cliff coming yeah because of because of, of this kind of spiral of death that uh, that those those brands will be going through not all of them mm-hmm. but certainly some and the current uh, economy wouldn't wouldn't help here either obviously yeah yeah no it's great uh, so how if you're starting out and you're a startup and you're, you're listening to all this, it sounds all very exciting because you see actually there is possibility and there is opportunity beyond the borders of Amazon. Um, so what it, it says here, 
you know, in my notes that price discounting is the spiral of death. We talked about that before. Um, and so starting out and avoiding this price discounting being the spiral of death, just explain why, why you think price discounting is a spiral of death for people that maybe don't understand that or are just starting out and thinking, actually, I'm just going to sell products cheaper than the next guy to try and get customers. Um, that's the, uh, that's the magic of, of the internet. That's the magic of e-commerce. Um, whereas, uh, obviously the prices are e- relatively easy to compare at the same time. They are also relatively hard to compare when it comes to more unique products. Sure. Um, when you sell the toasters and the toasters have the, uh, the, the, the product code and, uh, uh, then obviously you can uh, compare and get it from a cheaper place. Um, assuming many of those smaller retailers, they don't sell generic goods. They sell something unique and, and, and close, close to their heart. That's why they started the business often. And these, uh, these products are often not as, as, as comparable. Yeah. So as, as soon as you start looking at your competition and looking, oh my God, they reduced price, therefore I had to reduce price, uh, your margins will become so thin and your liquidity planning, cash flow planning becomes the, the only focus you have to do. However, yeah. if you build a business around a great story about why you built it, um, that's where the magic of internet kicks in. An internet, mm. every online shop, looks like a big business. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually, I, I, I like what you said there. You, you, um, you tell your story and it's your stories that people connect with, isn't it? That's you've got an interest in products and the reason why you've created that product and the story behind it. That's where the internet really has enabled people to do stuff that otherwise ordinarily wouldn't happen, right? Uh, and so story well, I think is... Such a good thing. Matt, do you miss this just walking walking through some market, uh, some some small city's main street and all those funky little shops where you step in and, and they're full of those amazing things that you didn't oh, yeah. even know existed? Even know existed. No, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was uh, the reason we've not been on air for the last few weeks is I've been in New Zealand working, working, uh, you know, a bit, <laughs> bit of bit of work and bit of pleasure. And I, yeah. I did exactly that. Heike. I walked down some of the roads and down some of the streets and I was, I w- my overriding feeling was disappointment because all of the stores down the main street in Auckland are the same stores as the ones down the main street in London. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They've yeah. got a gap. They've all got, they've all got Nando's. I don't know about what it yeah. is about Nando's ah. chicken restaurants. They're everywhere. And you're just like, Oh, I don't want to eat mm-hmm. Nando's. I want to eat in a, a local deli that does specialist mm-hmm. food. And I wanted to, and trying to find gifts for my kids and for my wife was, I had to get in a cab and go to a specific area, which was classed as the artsy area. But that's where the interesting shops were. And that's where actually I quite, I quite enjoy myself. So I'm totally with you on that one. Just going in and finding stuff that is the, the usual drudgery high street is and that that is the cool thing as obviously a smaller company cannot compete with the efficiency that nando's has mm-hmm. or efficiency or innovation uh investments that amazon has that's not going to be but they, they they can compete with with uniqueness and there's always there's uh, actually I, i'm i would 
forecasting this, this surge of, of uh, customers just like you mm. who will go distance to seek out those experiences. Mm. That's really fascinating. That is really, really fascinating. Uh, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying the conversation because I think you and I think so alike. One of the questions um, I get asked a lot by e-commerce entrepreneurs, you know, people wanting to start out is, you know, what do I sell on my website? And the answer is something that not everybody else is selling. You know, do not go to AliExpress and buy a watch that is 11 bucks and sell it on your site for $30 because there's 20,000 people doing that around the world, right? And they're much better at Facebook advertising than you are. So uh, it's it's not the way forward. It's not the way of the future. You've you've got to have a uniqueness about about your products, about your story that makes people want to buy. People say, like we have a company called um, Jersey Beauty Company, which retails beauty products online, and it's a bit like it's a bit like an Amazon. It's like you come to our site. There are hundreds of brands, hundreds of products. Um, and one of the big strategic shifts we're making in that is actually to reduce the amount of products that we sell to actually sell much more targeted products and be much more informative about the products that we are selling to create this unique experience, right? Um, almost like it's almost like going into the deli, deli rather than going into the supermarket where they, they both sell ham, but actually ham in the deli you've got some butcher making some quality choice somewhere haven't you and it's the same kind of thing so i love what you're saying is, is my long way of saying i love what you're saying <laughs> whenever whenever i you asked uh, you said before that you often get asked so what kind of products uh, you need to sell online to become successful and i do something else i whenever i mentor the startup founders i always ask them why did you start this company i do believe that that those who will be successful are those who solve their own problem foremost um so if if you're choosing what you sell online that should be the products that you love if you like do it yourself it's going to be do it yourself stuff if you love tea uh, it should be tea uh, because only if you love doing what you do you will have so much passion into this that that uh, well um, uh, that you won't have any work-life balance, unfortunately. <laughs> but at least you will love doing the work that you do, and then you will be successful at that. You're not going to have it. That's when you know you're successful is when there's no work-life balance because <laughs> you're so passionate about what you're doing. You're just you're just in it and you love it and you're going for it. It and is your life. It is your it is totally, and that's where you're going to beat Amazon because they've not got your passion. They're just yeah. like you say. They're just they just a display. It's like a search engine now, isn't it? Amazon. And honestly, they know nothing about the products they sell. No, but you do. Yeah, yeah, and you can you can do it in such a way that really really connects with people, uh, and they really connect with you. So, I mean, this is all fantastic stuff. And one of the questions that is that I have for you is is around technology because I know you know technology and uh, innovation is is something close to your heart. How do, how do we get, um, you, on one hand, we can't compete with a tech that, say, Amazon has, but is there something that we can do or that we could do to bring some technology into our business that is going to help us and, you know, at least keep us going forward a little bit further? Um, so Amazon obviously has some amazing technology, however, 
there's there's thousands of retail technology startups out there, all hungry to. Well, some will go as far as saying we're gonna we're gonna compete against Amazon, um, and some some would just say we're building the best retail experience. So all those uh, you know you take from science fiction ideas and some startup is doing this uh, take the ideas that maybe you've had once in your on your head virtual reality based shopping and some startup is probably doing this um and as small companies we can't afford to innovate ourselves however those uh, startups uh, they are looking for an outlet to test and try and, and make sure the technology is on the right right path uh, those among uh, among the listeners who are retailers, uh, you have something that startups don't have. Uh, you have a, a store uh, which can be, act as a platform for those startups to try out the new technology. Uh, therefore, you have access to thousands of, of those futuristic ideas sure. uh, just dying to, to be tried out. Yeah. Um, it doesn't come without a risk, though. As that's the essence really of <laughs> the, the, the problem with early stage startups is is they are great often they are great engineers they are great visionaries um, they have this fantastic idea but they haven't actually really tried it out to thousands or millions of people so there's going to be bugs the problems the uh, the they might not even know anything about retail, uh, which, by the way, is often a benefit because then they can really go crazy about, you know, doing something really differently. Sure. Um, uh, so uh, what, what, I'm, what I guess I'm getting is, is even a small company can afford to outsource innovation to startups yeah. simply because so many of them. But you have to be careful. You have to make sure you work well together with that startup team. Um, you, you trust in them. They, they, they are honest. If they do a mistake, they will fix it quickly. And uh, you don't bring your own clients as, as victims to that trial and error process. As victims. So kind of sandbox. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try to sandbox the experience. Yeah. Let's imagine there's a new... Um, um, at my previous company fits me. Mm -hmm. We did a virtual fitting room, which where you uh, entered your body body data uh, in the beginning, the body measurements, and afterwards we uh, we made it much simpler for people to to enter the body data. But then you would see a a model on, on screen, the same size and shape as yourself, and you could see how different sizes of, of, of dresses or shirts would fit on you. You'd literally see how extra small. Almost yeah. took the, yeah. the buttons off like an incredible Hulk. Um, the we um, there was probably two hours where we brought down one of our clients' sites. Luckily, that was during the update, and we scheduled the update the lowest uh, lowest traffic. Um, uh, we shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. We had planned much better, but also. Uh, that's a risk what you have to face when you work with early stage startups. Yeah, um, uh, it's worth it though. Yeah, because otherwise you will never just get access to this type of technology. We Fitzme got invested fifteen million into into developing it. Wow. No small business can afford to do this. No. 
But there were small businesses that could take advantage of the fact that you were developing it and they worked alongside you and with you on that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our first clients were, were t- quite small retailers. Only, only a couple of years after we had gotten into business, we got the retailers like QVC and Hugo Boss. Uh, these would not do tests with small, small startups because of the, the same risks that yeah. I was talking about. Sure. But those early retailers that we had as our clients, uh, they were free. Um, I think we, we ended up charging one like 100, 100 pounds a month or something like this, um, whereas our normal ticket sizes would go 70,000 a year and more yeah. Yeah. afterwards. So it worked well for the small businesses because they got access to the technology yeah. very little, but they also got to influence yeah. the technology and how it grows. And it worked well, well for you because you got a sandbox in which to test and develop exactly. so then at some point the bigger companies do become interested in it mm-hmm. so i recommend um, um uh, retailers in the audience uh, have a look at those startup retail tech uh, new startup retail tech uh, events um there's plenty of them uh, i'm assuming for the next few months they're cancelled um but at least the news are still coming out yeah and uh, they they provide a slight a vision of what the future of retail will look like. Yeah, what it can hold, and it's worth getting hold of them. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one way, I suppose, the smaller guys can actually get some quite interesting tech, which they wouldn't be able to afford to develop themselves into yeah. their business. Ah, it's really good. I mean, my story is um, similar in the sense that um, a lot of the tech we now use, we wrote and developed on our own businesses as we went through because no one else was out there doing it. Um, but we could do that, you know, you just, it was, it was straightforward, it was cost effective to do it. Now it wouldn't be, I have to be honest. Uh, but at the time it was, and, it, and you're right, it gives you access to some stuff that you never thought you'd get access to. So if I'm, if I'm a retailer, um, specifically, a, you know, looking for these kind of startups, you mentioned look for events. How, how would you find these sort of businesses to connect with? What would be some of the things that you'd want to look out for or make sure in place? Um, I'm, I'm, as as uh, Exit Academy, we provide the teaching both to the founders or the startups, but we also teach the corporations mm-hmm. um, how to work with startups. And now I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to give advice which is a bit uh, um, uh, which I actually I, I wouldn't want to give as that's bad for startups, is obviously as a retailer, I would like the startup to have at least uh, some other retailer as the client already, that it's, that it's tested in live iteration. Yeah. Um, uh, it's the first, for innovative tech startups, the first go to live, they will most probably mess up with something. So just, just, you know, there's so many exciting things and, and you might get uh, starry eyed yourself looking and speaking to them, uh, but just make, uh, make sure that if you launch something, launch it separately from your site, um, just provide a, a link from your site to, to their technology, uh, don't interface fully as it might, uh, yeah, yeah. Like you said, no, it's true. Make sure you're not the very first one. <laughs> If you I'm in the end, somebody has to be first. Right? To be. Yeah, I think it depends on how well you're protected from that. Um, well, um, negotiate a really good deal. 
I mean, certainly don't pay anything for this. Uh, you can't assume the startup to pay anything for you, but there's other benefits. So uh, an example from Hitsme was when we went live, we obviously needed to see how the customers uh, are exactly using uh, our technology. Mm. But because we had dedicated analysts looking at the user traffic, we saw many other things how the retailer would be able to increase the conversions. And we gave this information back to the retailers and, and many of our clients. Even when we messed up on our side, they, will, they were still successful because suddenly they had almost a dedicated in-house analyst, which small retailers normally don't have. Yeah. Yeah. You had that, you had that data, which is great. Yeah. 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 Do you think that um, AI is going to play a big part in e-commerce moving forward? I appreciate that's a really stupid question in some respects, but I'm just kind of curious to, to get your general impression on it. Yes, it is. And is that is is AI? And, and and I didn't I didn't mean the the answer was was uh, was. Yes, <laughs> that it was is. a stupid <laughs> question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine that's fine it's, it's, it was <laughs> there's a um a lot of start, early startup founders you know, come to me and say hey uh, you know I'm, I'm getting old i'm 24 um when it comes to technology yes right that's and they old. say let's just clarify 44 is not old <laughs> not in my um, you know, in, in technology innovation years, right? And they say, well, if I would have only started my startup when, you know, Jeff Bezos was starting Amazon or, or, or they started Apple or any of those companies, yep. all of this innovation was, you know, not yet done. Um, actually, the opposite is true. It's uh, this accelerating uh, pace with innovation. Mm -hmm. And anything we see today, um, and if I would have to put the number where uh, where retail is today, mm -hmm. by retail I mean online, offline, all of those channels, it's perhaps five percent of where it's going to be in the next twenty years. Yeah. It is in its early stages. Yeah. Very so yes, yeah. when it comes to AI, it's in its early stages today. There's going to be fascinating stuff coming out, which makes um, um, which makes our life much easier. Yeah. However, there's always this constant have to keep trying. The only thing you know for sure is that you have to keep up with the pace of change. You have to keep trying. Yeah, you have to keep trying. You have to keep keep on top of things uh, as best you can. No, you're totally right. And I I always heard the I've always heard that. You know, I wish I'd started. Um, when Jeff Bezos started Amazon, maybe I could have been Jeff Bezos. Well, no, you wouldn't have been because you're not as clever as he is. But that's that's another story. Uh, but um, somebody said to me once, I can't remember where I heard it, maybe it was on a podcast or something, you know, the best time to have started a business was 10 years ago. The second best time to start a business is today, right? Because you've got hindsight for what happened 10 years ago, but, you know, Second best time is today because in ten years' time you're going to be going. Actually, I would say, actually, I would say the best best time is today. Second best time was ten years ago. Ah, I like it. And also, yeah. also you're wrong about that. That Jeff Bezos, uh, you can't be Jeff Bezos because you're not as clever as as he is. This is totally wrong. I'm I'm sure this is what every time I'm on 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 I think like this podcast or speaking in the conference, it makes me feel so proud knowing that in this audience right now. There will be heroes like him. 
there will be there will be disruptors there will That's be right. millionaires and billionaires the uh, in the future yeah uh, they they might be trying something small today and then learning from this and growing they might be already thinking something big they might even be people who who right now think well um, i'm just doing my everyday job and tomorrow they figure out something uh, yeah. disrupted they'll figure it out and it's just having the courage to step out and have a go at yeah. that idea isn't it and uh, you think we'll, we'll give them this coverage a little bit much perhaps yeah go for it <laughs> <laughs> well i hope our conversation will 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 do this i'm sure it will i'm sure it will inspire somebody somewhere because these things always do and you always you know i can i can look back now and i can attribute reading a book or listening to somebody say something as some of the key pivotal points in my life and um and so you're right there's going to be somebody out there that it changes something and i i like that i love that actually that you know it, it, it helps it's why we do these things isn't it so no all good points sir all very good points and well received and well taken um if you were going to start you've got what four companies now um let's say you wake up tomorrow and you think you know what i'm going to start an online company would you stick with fashion or would you do something else? What would you, what would your thinking be? Um, well, I have started a fashion tech company. <laughs> and and the, the, the other one is not in fashion at all. It, it's, uh, it's an educational platform. Sure. Um, and I have invested into a, a sports tech company, which is a platform for personal trainers. And uh, honestly, uh, I did it because of my very own personal need. Okay. I'm, I'm a happy, uh, happy client at Fit Expert. It's uh, I used to well be 15 kilos bigger. Oh wow! <laughs> so these are these are completely different in, different areas, right? So, uh, do you, do you think then, yeah, I'm just sort of bringing it back to what, what you said earlier. I'm just, you know, if you were going to start a business, what would you start your e-commerce business in? I'm going to bring it back to that word passion. So you obviously, you know, about the fashion industry, you have a passion for tech and innovation. You had a reason to invest in the fitness company because you wanted to, you know, lose a little bit of, uh, excess baggage let's just put it that way uh, we've all been there uh, to be fair um and so these are things which are dear to your heart that these are things which you actually care about and i think um i guess i'm just trying to tease this out of you a little bit more uh in terms of start a business that maybe you care about so um, i i do have a process for this actually okay um, I, uh, for, for many, many, many years, um, I keep, I used to keep this paper uh, notebook next to my bed. Now, obviously I, I used the, the phone for this and, uh, I might be in conversation with you or, or, or having a sleepless night and suddenly I have this silly thought and I, I think maybe, you know, this silly thought changes something. So I write it down. And then I will have uh, this list has actually become really long by now. But then I have those um, uh, structured conversations with my friends about those thoughts. And regardless whether they're silly or not, uh, there's actually um, a um, just a few days ago a uh, uh, a thought that I had about uh, making sculptures out of water. 
my father was uh, a professor of hydraulics and he showed me how you can make water behave in ways where it starts making shapes. Oh, wow. In the kind of thin air. And I was thinking, yeah, well, uh, that would be really cool if we can have sculptures in the middle of the room. If there's a ball of water just kind of there magically. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote it down. And I'm going to have a conversation with about this with my friend, and we're going to go through some structured questions on um, um, how big is the market? Yeah. Um, is it is it feasible? Uh, is it is it science fiction or is it just fiction? Um, can it actually be approached at all? Uh, who would be those people who we know we can ask? Uh, can it be done? Um, who would be those people we can ask? Would they like to be the co-founders? And I often see from startup founders that they are afraid of talking about the idea. Maybe somebody is going to steal it. Maybe somebody is going to tell them how, how silly this idea is. No. Just use everyone you can to tell them about your idea. I'm going to use this uh, word victim again. Victimize them because sometimes your idea is indeed silly. Um, uh, make them suffer. <laughs> but then they will they will tell you yeah. something that makes you think, huh, it is silly because of this. And if I solve this, it's not going to be silly anymore. Yeah. Not a single great idea in this world started out as a sane idea. Every single idea that changed our world started out as, out as a crazy idea. Yeah. Impossible idea. Yeah. That's a very, very good point. That's a very good point. And so it doesn't matter how silly it is. Write it down in your notebook. You mentioned actually everything's digital for you now. I, I have to be honest, I'm still a bit of a pen and paper kind of guy for writing ideas down. I still like to do that the old fashioned way in journal, but you know, journaling those thoughts and getting them down and processing them uh, is really, really interesting. And I, I often say to Peter, in fact, I had a um, young lad came to see me yesterday or the day before was 14 15 years old and i know his parents really well and they said listen he's got this entrepreneurial flair can you have a conversation with him he's got a whole bunch of questions we can't answer so sure love to talk to you know the teenagers because man can they fly with these things they've got they've got no sense of impossibility in some respects yeah i, mean, it, I love i love that it's, it's great right it's great you only get that in your 20s and your 30s um but when you're in your teenagers, everything's possible, right? Because the world revolves around you. Why, why is it not possible? And um, he was one of the things that he said was he didn't have a, an idea for a business. And I said to him, well, I, I think by the end of the day, you could probably generate at least 50. And um, I said, for example, let's just think about the room that we're in. And this is what I would call the entrepreneurial mindset. Look at everything in this room and think, is there a problem that I can solve related to this product that I'm looking at? right? Um, how can I go away and research that? So we worked out, we were looking at a log burner, you know, the stoves in the, in the room, which we had. And I'm like, well, how do you clean the glass on those things? And so we looked on Amazon for stove glass cleaner. And we just looked down all the reviews that people had been putting and all the questions that people had. Well, there's on my market research right there. How could I do mm -hmm. that differently? What would be interesting about that? Um, is that something that I could do well and be passionate about? 14-year-old kid is not going to be passionate about glass cleaning. But the point of the matter was, 
Um, it's just looking out there at what's in front of you and just going, how can I solve a problem? How can I bring something to what's... You can use, you can use any of the feelings. Whenever you feel angry about something that uh, if the world doesn't operate as you wish it does, it's a problem right there. Whenever you feel passionate about something, you feel happy about something, you, you can say, how can I take this that I'm happy about and scale it up, make it repeat and build it into something that everybody else would be able to enjoy around me. That's a that's a good point. Any kind of emotion, any kind of passion, anger, upset. Um, and this is part of the reason why I would agree with you, you know, that this idea that Amazon's not going to be maybe the, the market uh, giant consistently and continually. One, because history has proven that no one is ever the market giant consistently or continually. Um, but two, I think... I think people are actually starting to get quite angry about Amazon. And there is there is now the ethics of Amazon uh, being brought to people's attention, rightly or wrongly, you know, uh, but it is having an impact on people's buying decisions. And, um, and I, I don't think that you can run away from that or hide from that. I think, you, you know, it's eliciting this emotion, isn't it? People are starting to get angry. Um, and so people get angry they have the crazy ideas. And like you said, no, no world changing idea ever started out life as a sane idea. And none of those ideas came from a place of, you know, zero emotion. There was always some kind of emotion behind driving that idea, wasn't there? So, uh, very, very fascinating stuff. Hey, hey, Key, listen, Did you have, sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, yeah, uh, I was just going to say, I'm aware of time and we could carry on talking all afternoon. It's a fascinating conversation. Is there anything else specifically that you wanted to say that maybe we've not covered um, that maybe would be helpful for folks? Um, As we were talking so much about starting the company and starting a business, uh, we didn't touch a lot how to make your existing retail business more successful and uh, I don't think we'll have enough time to, to use that bit to wrap it up so I'm going to use the how to start the business to, to wrap it up and and uh, you, you said uh, you repeated this that no uh, great idea started out as a, as a sane idea um, in you have to have this courage to believe it is mm. a great idea and and yes, in, in Silicon Valley, um, you might sit in a, in a cafe in Palo Alto, uh, San Francisco, and you talk about uh, your great idea of building a rocket ship to Mars. And somebody next table is is uh, is uh, eavesdropping and, and saying, hey, I'm so sorry, I, 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 I overheard. But there's this guy who, who builds life support systems, and I'd be happy to introduce. And, and somebody else is going to ask you, so what kind of engine do you use on your rocket ship? Yeah. And uh, and uh, I'm originally from Estonia, in Estonia, but also in the UK, you might have had, uh, the same conversation with somebody. And instead of asking what kind of rocket engine you're going to use, they're going to look at you and say, this is a really silly idea. So you have to have enough passion in what you do to say, hey, thanks for this feedback and tell me more. Why, why is that silly? Explain this to me so I can find a way to make it not so. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I like that. Tell me why and how I can make it not so. Don't get hampered and don't don't give up too soon. Like it. Yeah, I like it. 
Peiki, listen, really appreciate your time with us, bud, and your insight. And I've really enjoyed the conversation. Where can or how can people get hold of you if they want to reach out and connect? What's the best way for people to do that? Um, uh, sure, I think LinkedIn is, is always a good place. You can drop, uh, drop a message there. Um, for those companies that that have already built something and thinking of, of how to strategize, how to think few years ahead uh, and think of, of acquisitions, um, that's the exit academy to talk. Um, uh, these, I think, are the best uh, best places. Wonderful. And we'll have links to your LinkedIn and to the Exit Academy in the show notes. When this is released as a podcast, you'll be able to get those show notes from the website. Um, but, uh, Heike, listen, um, you've got such an unusual name. I reckon if you just go to LinkedIn and just type your name, you're going to come up, right? Although I noticed your LinkedIn profile picture, or the one somebody sent to me, you were without a beard. And for those of you who are watching on Facebook can actually see you, you've got a, a really quite a nice beard right now going. Thanks. I'm going to go and, and fix it now. <laughs> I'm going to go, go some beard on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Very good. People will be rushing now to see what you look like without a beard. Before and after. Before and after. But no, listen, go connect with Heike. He's a great guy. Go connect with him on LinkedIn. And Heike, once more, thank you so, so much for joining us on the show. It's been a real privilege and a real treat. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that today, guys. Wasn't Heike fantastic with what he was sharing? Just amazing, amazing stories uh, and some really top insight for you guys. So do connect with him. Do reach out to him on LinkedIn. Like I say, all the links to everything that he's talked about will be in the show notes. We will make sure that they're there and you can connect with him. Uh, this show, like I said, is being broadcast live on Facebook. So if you are on Facebook, do come over, sign up for the notifications. Cause when we do the Facebook lives, you can join in the conversation. You can ask your questions, uh, and listen to what's going on as well as subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get them from iTunes, Stitcher. We don't mind. We're platform agnostic. We're just out there on all of the platforms So make sure you subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. We appreciate you listening. And we will be back again very, very soon for some more uh, amazing podcast stuff. So until then, I will bid you adieu and farewell. Thank you for listening to the Curiosity Podcast. You can subscribe or you can also join us on Facebook Live. See you next time.